Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are tackling the various changes that are taking place around the digital revolution that's in our world, coming into our personal lives, our professional lives, and really touching every aspect of what we do and how we do it. And one of the fascinating things that's going on today is as the world changes so dramatically, the shifting roles of leadership. Uh, leadership will still have a lot of things that you know leaders must do and have to do, but how they do those things, how they set their priorities, how they exert and show and move that leadership forward is a fascinating topic today. So one of our regular monthly guests, Christian Anschutz, is with us today to talk about some of what's going on there. Christian, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's always a pleasure to have you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Bob. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christian, from your roles in business, your roles in the Marine Corps, I think your roles as an entrepreneur, an adventurer, discoverer, um, the, the leadership thing you have emphasized, it's not something you're trying to give a lecture on. It's sort of observations, though, and, you know, real world experiences you've had. So uh, in that context, you had an interesting sort of uh, set of three that you had put together here today that you wanted to chat about a little bit. Uh, yeah. So the, you know, the, the topic that everybody wants to talk about and that I actually spend a lot of time uh, working with other companies on in, in, in uh, my consulting work is is around innovation. And then the topic is what is the role of leadership as it re pertains to uh, innovation? And what are one of the, one is the one of the most critical, shall we say, attributes, if you will, characteristics of leadership or that of an innovative leader. Uh, and that would be uh, very likely, almost certainly courage. So the relationship between leadership, courage, and then the ability to be an innovator. And, and by the way, for us uh, here, I mean, innovation, let's, let's be honest. I mean, all your listeners here, we're all innovative. Somebody's innovating, you know, all the time. And we do this, uh, you know, some sort of innovation all the time. However, uh, there's a couple things we, we need to think about. One is there's a difference between incremental and transformational innovation, uh, taking, uh, you know, this device and adding another, you know, I don't know how many other gigapixels <laughs> to the camera. Is that is that transformationally innovative or is that incrementally innovative? Now, the one time it might have been transformationally. Um, yeah, most of the, the the big innovations are really you know really changing you know business models and changing companies. I mean, I, I just read uh, it's over fourteen companies a year are getting cycled out of the uh, Fortune five hundred. And so in 18 years at the current pace and the pace is increasing. So let's just go at the current pace. Uh, what is that? 18 years and over 50% of the fortune 500 will be gone. There'll be a new, um, yeah. new participants. Right. And that is because there is this, this, this creative destruction, this massive rapid jockeying for position. And a lot of this has to do with not necessarily incremental innovation, but more transformational, also known as disruptive innovation. I like transformational innovation better, uh, although this, you know, that, that word's overused, but disruptive just sounds disruptive. So the first thing is, if we're talking about innovation, what are we talking about? Are we talking about incremental? Are we talking about transformational innovation? I like to talk a little bit more about the latter because everybody does the former and very, very few companies and very, very few leaders actually do the latter. And they actually don't even know that there's a difference, which by the way, is part of their problem. Yeah. Um, so I'll stop there because that wasn't necessarily where you were 
going, but I thought we kind of lay the groundwork a little bit and talked about what we meant when we said innovation. No, Christian, absolutely. And I know you do some uh, work as an adjunct professor at the business school at uh, University of North Carolina. Uh, you've had some things going on with Yale. You do consulting for companies on these things. So it's very relevant, these, this set of experiences that you bring from that sort of work, along with the you other know, things you've done as a past as a chief digital officer, chief information officer, uh, captain in the United States Marine Colonel. So I, I wanted to ask, so the, those three pieces that you brought up, leadership, innovation, and courage, can you, can you be a leader in today's world and achieve innovation without courage? Uh, I, you know, my short answer is if I have to give just a yes or no, the answer is no, you, you must have courage. There's a great quote out there, and, and it's not one of those quotes that I have memorized well, so I'm going to do it an injustice. Uh, but uh, Jeff Bezos has, and he has a bunch of them, but one of my favorite is he says something to the extent of, you, you cannot be afraid of being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And that actually, I mean, we live in a world we live in a society right now that is permeated with fear. I mean, I, I, I worked in advertising. I know the business models of, of advertising and, and, and media. And it's all about, you know, eyeballs. And, you know, there are something that get eyeballs more than other things, right? And so we, we live in this, this era of fear, right? And then we even have labels for it. We got FOMO, you know, this is one of my favorite ones, you know, the fear of missing out. And there's all sorts of categories, fear of being left behind, fear of being out of the know. There's all fear of fear of fear of fear of. In fact, kind of a newsflash, everyone thinks that sex sells, right? And, and, and maybe it does. Well, certainly it does. Okay. Yeah. But there's something that sells better than that. And that's actually fear. And, you know, that, that's why it's, uh, you know, in so much of the messaging, even in the ads where, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're having a cavassier at the bar, right? And it's, it's, you think it's selling sex, it's actually might be the fear of not being able to have sex with the, you know, the whatever partner that you're, you're, you're trying to cozy up to uh, at the bar with the cavassier, but there's, there's fear elements across the board. And so the, the whole idea then that innovators are taking paths, not necessarily just less traveled, but perhaps never traveled. Yeah. And when an innovator is doing that, what do you think the rest of the world is doing? Or the rest of their, at least the colleagues in their firm or their friends and their family, they're all going, where the heck is she or he going? What are they doing? I don't get it. And a little bit of this too, like, ooh, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steer clear of that. I don't want my name connected with that. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to sit back and see how this goes. Uh, yeah, to me, that's, it's one of those things, Christian, that uh, you know you could say on the one hand, well, that's human nature and we're risk averse. We don't like change, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so there's a place for that. Uh, you know, tuck your head down, take no risks, you know, let your fear sort of, you know, prescribe what you do and how you do it. But boy, uh, for companies, for leaders in today's world, that just seems like a, you know, you are, you are getting on the express train to hell if you take that route. Well, again, those numbers around the Fortune 500, the S&P 500, I think has some interesting other numbers around it, but they, they're all indicative of the fact, they all indicate, excuse me, that, uh, you know, change is, is happening. 
and, 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 and at the corporate level and the change within the corporations is causing change outside of the corporations and in industries and whatnot. And you can put your head in the sand and you can wait for things to go back to the new normal or the old normal or whatever. But the only normal that there is, is that we are in this pace of creative or in this race of creative destruction where there are new ideas, new concepts and, 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 and simply entirely new models, operating models emerging. Um, you know, there, I, I was, uh, another fascinating thing I was reading, there's, there's like different categories of where, where innovation happens. It's in like the, 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 the capability, the function. So that's like a, let's say the, the new, the, the new device. Right. And then there's, um, uh, uh, innovation across, um, so not, not just new technology, but then there's new models. Right. And yet one of the greatest areas of innovation is, is in like distribution and uh, well, the old term distribution, but channels, models, partnerships, ecosystems, et cetera. And, uh, and, and that right there, I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. Most firms, most firms think that the, the solution for their path forward, their innovative path forward is they're going to get the, the best, you know, the brightest, uh, you know, girls and boys in their organization, the best of their workforce in their organization, they're going to get them in a room and then they're going to go, um, okay, hey, you know, think free, you know, move fast, break things, you know, when that was in vogue, which it's not anymore. <laughs> but, they, you know, and they say, hey, you know, come up with what, you know, and study the market, et cetera. The real innovators actually cast a broader net and they don't try to do it within their four walls. So a company of 20,000, even if everybody was contributing, you might have 20,000 great minds. When you open it up to the ecosystems, which are your partners, your suppliers, academia, et cetera, now you take that number and you multiply it. And now you become a real force to be reckoned with. And we're seeing more and more companies really embrace a real meaningful ecosystem approach to innovation where they actually let go a little bit. This is kind of a hard thing for a lot of the, uh, the general counsels to get their arms around, of course, because you know who owns what and you don't say this about that. I mean, so there is a balance. I do quite a bit of work, by the way, uh, in the innovation space with uh, the military. You could imagine that there is a balance to be struck between sharing everything and uh, you know all ideas and all directions and, and, and problems and solutions and sharing what you can share. Most corporations don't have the level of scrutiny that the military does, and yet the military is still doing it. And they're actually starting to do it really quite well, this ecosystem approach to innovation. And most corporations, even without having you know, national security at stake, uh, are, are, are behind. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's really a shame. Yeah, Christian, there's a, a, just a, a broad idea that, that your comments stimulated in my head. It's this idea, like I, I used to see it a lot in um, you know, various sports, but I thought football was the one where it seemed to me to be most apparent that there would at times be teams where you could see a coach was playing not to lose, wasn't necessarily playing to win, but the major goal was don't lose, right? You know, don't make a mistake. Just try to, you know, run this out, get to a tie, get to a safe ground, and, you know, we hope we'll be okay. And again, you know, I don't mean there's a matter of life and death, but there is something in that that uh, I think allows people this sort of false sense of comfort or confidence, because, right, you know, if, if I can just be in the middle of that bell, well, you know, I, I won't get noticed as much, right? And, you know, what's the worst going to happen? Oh, they lost, but it was a close game. Oh, you know, 
they did everything they could. They almost won. They almost beat. Well, you know, all those things just sort of add up. You know, Safra Katz at Oracle always used to say, yeah, you're the uh, second place is the first loser. Um, so the, the, the courage and leadership thing that I think you talked about, I keep coming back to that. And uh, Christian, uh, some of the other things that you've said today, along with that, made me think of a couple episodes ago, you, you were saying, you asked people to think about this, of all the meetings you go to in a week, what percentage of those meetings are you talking about the world outside and customers versus, you know, <laughs> vacation days we get and, you know, what size should the ideal cubicle be and, you know, blah, 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 you know, God knows what else is on that list. So I think that thing of leadership, the courage to come in and maybe a little bit of what Jeff Bezos said, don't be afraid to be misunderstood because it seems that's one of the, those uh, untrod paths where people can get into some new ground. Yeah, I, God, there's so many things in, uh, to unpack from what you just said. I'll just hit a couple of them. So yeah. first of all, um, we, we, we suffer, our corporations suffer from short-termitis, right? With the average tenure of a CEO in the United States is what's three-ish years, right? Something like that. Uh, and, and let's face it, none of these CEOs, and we've talked about this before, how many CEOs do you know of these firms have been fired for having too ambitious, you know, or excuse me, an insufficiently ambitious, insufficiently, you know, broad vision of change and, and, and value impact in the markets that they serve and the markets that they would uh, explore and seek to serve? Or are they fired more for just not making that quarter's numbers, you know, one, two, three, four quarters in a row? And so this creates a a, a short-termitis and, and as leaders, you know, let's call it what it is. They, most of them don't either have either the knowledge of how to like create a model where you have, and you preserve the core of your business. You must preserve the core of the business. And, and this keyword is, and leadership is about, and, and make the investments, provide the autonomy, create the innovation culture and align it to your overall strategy. A, a capability that is going to innovate and create a, a beacon, if you will, and light your way to your new markets and your new core businesses. This is as old as the BCG two by two matrix itself. Most companies aren't creating those, shall we say, those, um, th th those question marks mm -hmm. that'll eventually turn into their uh, stars, which will eventually place, replace their core. And one thing that we talk a lot about mm -hmm. in business is the number one thing that kills new innovations, especially disruptive or transformation, transformative innovations outside the core is the core itself because you're taking things away from me, right? That's, I need those resources to continue to be better, faster, cheaper. All, interestingly, incrementally innovative, better, faster, cheaper, right? And so you have to, to, to get to the point now of courage, you have to, as an executive leader, have the courage to say, we will do both. We will absolutely do both. And you have to have the courage to, and I'm using an old adage, you have to feed the dogs that hunt. You have to find those hunters that you're going to put in this, this, this capability, right? That is going to have a certain amount of operational freedom. That's going to have a, a certain amount of long-term commitment. That's going to frame perhaps an entirely different culture than the, the, the core culture you have, right? and find those next markets to serve. And you have to have the courage to back them. You have to have the courage, and this is gonna sound weird, but you have to have the courage 
to find the people you can trust to do that. Because trust often comes with courage, especially for some people more than others. And so there, again, I don't know how any organization is transformatively innovative without good, strong, decisive leadership that is backed by a courageous leader. Yeah, and that, uh, and I think the best and most courageous leaders are able then to somehow translate or transfer that courage and that sense of, you know, uh, make things uncomfortable sometimes. Don't be afraid to be misunderstood. You know, look at those killer types of behaviors like the percentage of meetings, 75%, 80%, where you talk about internal stuff, not external. And, you know, radiate that, that type of culture throughout the organization. Very, very hard to do, but it seems to me it's one of those things that is, is very different from how companies were five or 10 or 20 years ago to today where, right, it was, you know, efficiency and mastering things inside the organization. And now it is, how do you get to be really well wired into the outside world and translate then back into your company incredibly fast what's going on out there. And then, like you said, keep the core thing moving along, but also start to build the new that is going to adapt to these crazy, you know, hyper fast changes going on in the world outside of us. And uh, th that thing that, you know, too many CEOs say sometimes like, well, you know, we evaluated that, but that's not the business we're in. That's not what we do. That's outside of our area, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's kind of nuts. And Christian, if I could, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I put a couple of pieces up today, a little video and an article is about SAP and another example. And I've been calling them, you know, a couple of times through these past six months, the new SAP. They gave their customers for years the tools to do new things, but the company itself was um, sort of caught a little bit in its past and was tried so hard to preserve and protect that core that it wasn't able to move into the future as rapidly and courageously and I think uh, unconditionally as it needed. And they've started doing that over the last few months, right? They now call it, you know, modular RP, pick and choose the pieces you want, right? We know you don't want, uh, you know, an all you can eat in two hours sort of meal here. And the other thing that's happened now is with their partners. It's a, uh, now they look at uh, the, the whole partner ecosystem some of what you had talked about before with SAP used to just be a fulfillment channel. And now they said it, fulfillment is, it's not unimportant, but it's really not the thing down the cloud. It's about IP, it's about innovation, it's about breakthrough new stuff. And they've got a number of customers now who have created their own IP that then they wanna to sell to other companies and they enlist SAP's help in some way to do that. So customers become partners and partners become customers, and it's just an entirely different way of looking at things. That's one of the reasons I think the tech business is so fascinating, because you see these things coming, and the nimble, smart, courageous companies are going to get that, and the ones that try to preserve the past uh, to a degree that just tries to deny the future are the ones that are going to get stomped on. Hmm. Denying the future. So let's just talk, for example, about, oh, I don't know, automobiles, automobile manufacturers. I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, you know, the writing has been on the wall for so long, right? And yet, I mean, if I make a combustion automobile, you've got to understand that going to an electric car isn't a threat just to my business model. It threatens my entire supply chain. 
And so now as an automobile manufacturer, my, it's not just me, it's not just my unions, it's, it's, it's my tier one, my tier two, my tier, and, and oh, I, I can't do that. So I'm going to do something kind of in between. I'm going to create a hybrid. And that's, you know, you're going to kind of stink at both things, right? <laughs> but being electric, because you, I mean, let's face it, I, I just build a house, Bob. How much do you think I use the Swiss army knife to build my house? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> you know, if I need a hammer, I got a specialty tool for that hammer and your car is the same darn way, right? And so, you know, and then you look at Tesla, Tesla comes in and just think about the news. I mean, this is talk about, I mean, this is all related. I, I, I do, I run the risk of sounding random, but hopefully this, this one can follow this. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're calling out Elon Musk for why did you buy Solar City? And then he comes out and he goes, this business was never about building cars. Holy cow. You know, the only people that didn't understand that, those were the automobile manufacturers that didn't understand it. Everybody else knew that the yeah. fundamental reason why that company sprang into existence and which also feeds to SpaceX is that his why and the innovation force that propelled that why forward was targeting something entirely different than just cars as we know it. Now, by the way, it's very good for the automobile manufacturers to follow in his stead, which is why he made all that IP available for free. Holy cow. He's actually helping others to create the very ecosystems that could propel him forward, propel others forward, all in the pursuit of his overarching goal. I mean, you want to talk about a, not everybody needs to like Elon Musk. It's, it's, this, this shouldn't be about personal judgments. It should be about looking at what people are trying to do and, and, and learning from what you can learn from both the good and the bad. And Tesla has done some amazing, absolutely amazing things. They have shifted how people think about the future of transportation and as it, as it pertains to, well, automobiles and, and even to some extent, space travel. Mm -hmm. Boy, talk about, you know, courage. Talk about taking a path, not least traveled, but never traveled. I mean, by the way, and just the last thing, when was the last time a private organization privately held organization disrupted the defense industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the, the understanding what te uh, Tesla and SpaceX have done is, is actually, it's, it's, it's astounding. And, and I think more people need to take a serious, you know, look at it and, and, and learn from it. Uh, you know, don't, you don't buy the cars if you don't want the cars, that's not the point. Uh, but just really kind of think about uh, some of the tools, the techniques and the, and the broad vision and then the execution engine that didn't align perfectly behind it, but then is really propelled, uh, you know, that company forward. And, and then let's ask ourselves, were they trying to be incrementally uh, innovative or were they hugely transformationally innovative? And I think it's very, very clear, patently obvious, if you will, to the casual observer, Elon Musk is a transformational innovator. Yeah, yeah, um, Kristen, you know, the, I, I think about this, this thing, uh, the Empire State Building, I think it's coming up on its 100th anniversary, and it was built in 11 months. Uh, I don't think they had, um, you know, anything remotely like the, 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 the tools that are capable today, but somebody said, you know, we, we can do this, you know, here, here's a way to make this happen. And I'll imagine that there were you know, 20 to one, the people said, you know, this is crazy. This is nuts. It'll never happen. It'll never work. So uh, Musk coming out and, and anyway, the Empire State Building then triggered 
you know, extraordinary changes in not just the look of Manhattan, but what people felt was possible with buildings, you know, what could be done, how it could be done, where it could be done, things from design and what an office space should look like and so on. So the, the implications were enormous, but I think whoever it was who designed that building and said, we can do this in less than a year. I think they came in several months early and well under budget. Um, it's that sort of thing. And, you know, coming back to your, your triangle there of leadership, innovation and courage, uh, courage not to change just what's going on inside, but outside your company, the reward systems, the organizational structures. And I think that that's one of the things that's going on now, right, is business transformations happen and companies then use technology to help enable that business transformation, becoming digital organization, but then they carry forward a sort of a, either last decade, in some cases, the last century organizational structure, because they'd say, oh, you know, there's only so much change people could take. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to just, you know, ruffle too many feathers inside the organization. So-and-so has earned his or her spot. And, you know, I don't want to take that away. And I think they're, they're trying to be protective of things or respectful of people, whatever. But in fact, I think they're afraid to make the hard choices that are necessary to be able to achieve those sort of breakthrough innovations that you've been describing. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's so much truth in what you said. And, and if anybody is listening to this, and I'm, you have a well-attended uh, following or a well-attended podcast and a great following, rather, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listen to it. And, you know, the simple test is, I mean, don't we see every single day people deferring the hard decision today. So, you know, the kicking the can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we see it in our corporate leaders. We see it in our politicians. We see it across the board. We see it in ourselves. Ah, I'm tired today. I'm going to start that workout regime next Monday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and next Monday always then turns into, you know, I'm waiting for new year's because that's when I'm really going to get on the bandwagon. You know, so, I mean, this, these hard decisions, that's what separates the great from the good though yeah. in, in people in companies uh, and, and very possibly even bigger structures like maybe nations is being able to take the hard decisions and, 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 and do the hard things uh, when there's a lot of easy options staring you in the face. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would really be interested in, uh, in, in uh, maybe architecting something where we in, in the future do like a three or four part discussion on, okay, look, this, if, if you are going to try and create a, a real innovation capability, here's some of the things that you have to do. It, it, the, it's, it's not magic folks. I mean, it, it, it isn't, it's, it's not magic. There are a number of things that you can do as a, as a, as a senior, very senior leader, especially if you're in charge of a company or the CEO, there are steps you could take. And if you're a senior leader that reports to CEO, leaders lead. And that sometimes means you have to not just do what the boss says, you need to tell the boss what they need to do and have a discussion about, okay, how do you manifest courage? How do you think about leadership? How do you create the, the, what we call the four freedoms um, necessary within an organization that allows for an innovation uh, a capability to really thrive, grow, and affect uh, the future of your business? How do you understand how the very voice of the customer, which is why we had that conversation before, listening to the market, the voice of the customer, the voice of that market is what gives you courage. How do you learn from it? 
how do you figure out what their unmet needs are? How do you lead your company with your with the voice of your uh, customer and the markets telling you, please bring us there, and use that to your uh, to to great effect? These are these there's there's a number of steps that you can follow. It, it, again, it's not magic, it's not rocket science, yet it is very very hard. And maybe maybe just maybe we could have a you know, a conversation over what are those elements and, and, uh, in like a mini series or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that ask the, you know what, to the listeners, if this sounds interesting to you, just make a comment, you know, does this sound like something you would want, you know, uh, Bob and cloud wars to, to look into if not fine. If so, say something. Yeah. Yeah. No, Chris, I love that. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that. And also in a moment here, ask you to define, uh, just mention what those four freedoms are. But uh, first, I just want to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. So, Christian, the four freedoms in the context of what you've been describing, what are those? So, I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple models, but remember, and, and, and this is, there, there's universal truths. Remember, we started on this conversation. Yeah. There's universal truths and they start with us. I mean, we have fundamental, as humans, there are some behaviors that we manifest all the time. I mean, heck, you, you mentioned it, like, um, you know, putting our hand, head in the sand because we don't like change. Why do we not like change? Well, mostly because we're fearful about what's on the other side. We don't understand. We don't know. And often we don't even want to use the word fear. I'm not going to be fearful. Well, listen, folks, we're all fearful. I'm, I'm fearful, right? Courage is overcoming fear. So we have to understand that. And so the reason why I say that in the setup is that, the, you know, there's, there's a number of things that organizations can do. And, and while there are different models, there's one uh, model that works uh, very well. And that uh, speaks to this, what, what I call the beacon model. You create a capability that is related, but separate from the core of your business, because your core will fight that change. Those behaviors will kick in and the core doesn't, I mean, this is, I, I could go on forever, right? This is, this is the, the, the subject of a, a lot of my time and, and expertise, but there's a reason why M&As fail at, at, at the highest rate unbelievable. I mean, the deal economics just don't materialize. And by the way, we don't ever as companies acknowledge that, right? And that's because they, the core of the business assimilates it and it takes often the very best of what they bought and it disintegrates it. It, 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 it dilutes it based on what the core is doing, right? So you have to have a separateness and that separateness is you create a capability. It could be a structure. It could be a team. It could be an entirely different company. It could be a partnership, a joint venture, whatever, but it has elements of what we call the four freedoms. And that is now to answer the question, that is, it has a very tight strategic alignment to the future of the business. So it's strategy alignment is one aspect of the freedom. freedom. So by the way, two processes that separate the great companies from everyone else is strategy and governance. Now, the reason why the average is so average and so big is because most companies stink at strategy and governance. So this first thing, you think it's easy, it's not. It only gets more difficult. You have to provide a long-term commitment. You're not going to bring a bunch of courageous innovators in and say, oh, we're just going to try it for six months. That doesn't work. 
those courageous innovators, they have to be able to frame and form their own culture. And so culture is number three. And then collectively, there has to be a certain amount of operational freedom where you allow that group to explore the market, utilizing, of course, the core capabilities to the greatest extent possible, because the farther you get away from the core, the more likely you're going to fail, right? So you want commonality and competition, customers, costs, et cetera, but you still got to look at your markets differently. And you needed some operational freedom to be able to engage customers, look at entirely new customers and, and segments. So explore markets, explore parts of the markets, explore the segments, explore the attributes now that those customers in those segments need and want. And to do that unencumbered by the fact that the company is just trying to be at large a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper, while you have this capability that might go in an entirely different direction. So those are the four freedoms. Uh, and uh, it, it, again, it, it's not hard to do. It's well, excuse me. It's it's not hard to articulate. It's very very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kristen, great jumping off point there. Um, wonderful stuff today. Leadership, innovation, courage. Uh, yeah, I would love to dig into that some more with you. And let's we'll uh, knock some ideas back and forth. And as you said, maybe some folks here in the audience will share some ideas about you know exactly how we frame some of those out. But I think your your perspectives here are valuable at a time when. Uh, both the pace of change, the degree of change, and what some people see in their heads is like the risk of change are all pretty daunting. But uh, it you have given, I think, folks a lot of reason to believe it's not that scary. It can be overcome. And as you said before, everybody has fearfulness, uh, but it's the courage that doesn't eliminate the fear, but lets you transcend that and you know do the things that are hard, do the things that are right. So um, as always, Christian, it's great to chat with you. I really enjoy your perspectives and thank you so much for uh, some pretty, pretty nice ideas. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy being here and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the near future, I hope. Well, Christian, that's great. And folks, to all of you, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us here. Cloud Wars Live with Christian Anschutz. And I hope your summer's off to a fantastic start and is getting even better. See you soon.